Welcome back to our podcast within a podcast, pottering around the kidnapped human beetle of Mangum Reads. We are three muggles who knew Little Badman was an idiot, but didn't realize how sleazy he could actually be. My name is Sarah. I'm joined, as always, by my co-host, BJ and Spencer. How are you all doing? I'm just learning new phrases that I never knew existed before this podcast. <laughs> Kidnapped human beetle. Yeah, that on point. We, we exist to put words together in, in ways that have never before been seen. <laughs> I appreciate I mean, this. It's a little Kafkaesque, but... Fair, yes. Um, Different species, I think, though. But we are on, I don't even know what number chapter we're on anymore, but we are on the last chapter. chapter I believe it's 37. Yes, of the fourth book of Harry Potter, and the chapter title is The Beginning. And It's an interesting chapter title, as we'll probably get to. Um, And amusingly, we did note uh, the picture of the beetle, which it does get revealed, Uh, why that's a thing. Yes, it does. And in fact, this picture of the beetle does have, if I'm remembering correctly, this picture of the beetle does in fact have the distinctive markings. um, It does. That (laughs) were referenced at other points. Yeah. Um, So Um, we have some segments that we do here as well. Uh, mm -hmm. For this, our last chapter of the fourth book of Harry Potter, we have a uh, rapid fire recap. We have BJ's Wizard Wheezes, Newbie's Notes with Spencer. We award house points and then there are questions and queries, and maybe we can talk a little bit in some about this book and how we feel about it. Well, Sarah, I, I hate to set up a scenario where you're under no pressure for the last chapter of your favorite book of Harry Potter when it comes to the recap, but I did some math last night, <laughs> and you presently, the original goal were you had, was to get 50 points over the course of summarizing all of these chapters with the possibility of a 10-point swing spoiler based on whether your total time was above or below an hour 15. You presently have 52 points, and unless you spend 9 minutes and 6 seconds summarizing this chapter, I don't think the spoiler's going to hurt you. So, uh, knowing that, do you have any particular goal or bets when it comes to this chapter? I do, I do like to be able to just cruise smoothly into the end of one of these books in it's certain in my victory um although i suppose that uh harry and cedric also cru- cruise smoothly into their victory <laughs> at the triwizard cup and well, we have seen how that went out so um well, however you're, you're metaf- go ahead spencer i said your metaphorical voldemort is bj here so we'll see what he allows <laughs> you to do um i am just gonna go for a smooth under two under two minutes. Easy goal, easy objective. Pretty short chapter, really. So and not a, I mean, we have some reveals and some new information that we'll talk about, but a lot of this is not, a lot of the actual kind of content of this chapter is not super important to know the details of, necessarily. We've got a lot of people just sort of talking about All things right. that have already happened. For the last time in book four, the novelty stopwatch is ready when you are. Harry's had a rough month. He had to tell the Diggories what happened and awkwardly tries to give them the gold. Dumbledore told people to leave him alone, but that seems to have made the students even more suspicious. The Weasleys want Harry to just spend the summer with them, but Dumbledore insists he has to go back to the Dursleys first, although there's no real explanation on that. So they spend a lot of time with Hagrid, who is blessedly sanguine about everything, and Dumbledore's got a job for Hagrid and Madame Maxime over the summer. The end of your feast is solemn, Karkaroff is nowhere to be found, and Harry can't puzzle out why Dumbledore trusts Snape. Dumbledore gives a hell of a speech. After honoring Cedric, he makes no bones about who murdered him, Voldemort, and no bones about the lies the Ministry of Magic is about to spend the summer feeding them. And then Dumbledore praises Harry's bravery in the whole thing, which gets Malfoy's goat. Finally, the renewed importance of of international magical cooperation. Every guest in the hall is welcome back at any time. He ends the speech with the line that makes me cry every time, and I'm sure we'll get there. Then they're all ba- uh, packed up and ready to go, and Harry gets cordial, even warm goodbyes from Fleur and Crumb. At the last minute, Ron asks for Crumb's autograph. 
On the Hogwarts Express, they feel like they ran, they can finally start talking about things, and there's literally nothing about Voldemort or even Cedric in the Daily Prophet. Partly because Hermione has discovered Rita Skeeter's secret, she's an unregistered animagus, a beetle, and can listen in on private conversations unobserved. Hermione caught her in the infirmary and is literally keeping her in a glass jar and coerced her into keeping quiet for a year. Who else knew about it? Draco Malfoy, who makes an appearance to be unpleasant about muggles and mudbloods and losing sides. Harry, Ron, Hermione, Fred, George all hit them with hexes at once and proceed to play Exploding Snap, Fred and George finally give up who they've been blackmailing, Ludo Bagman. He paid their absurd winning bet at the World Cup with Leprechaun Gold and refused to do anything about it when they discovered him. Bagman's in big trouble with the goblins and owes money all over the country. He bet on Harry to win the Triwizard Cup to get the money back, but the goblins are parsing over the shared win with Cedric. Bagman ran for it. When the train pulls in, Harry holds Fred and George back and gives them his winnings to start their joke shop. Everyone is going to need some good laughs soon, and Harry gets into the Dursley's car for a summer of waiting. Well done. We have it. 158.75. You've got it. You end the fourth book of Harry Potter with 53 points and a time of basically uh, one hour and eight minutes. Well done. Excellent. So I get extra points for that, right? You get yeah. You get an extra ten <laughs> points from that, which makes it sixty three points to wrap things up with. Perfect. Bravo, this Sarah, was my Hermione Professor Flitwick gave me hundred and seven percent on that <laughs> final exam. He's not kicking <laughs> you, me out now. <laughs> you, 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 we still would have gotten a prize with fifty, which BJ and I will commiserate on and send to you before uh, the ne- we start the next book. Thank but you, you, a- you extra had some extra frosting on it. Well done. Perfect. Um, uh, so the winner of the chapter, uh, <laughs> Sarah. Yes, well I've done. I've been waiting four books for this. <laughs> Um, PJ, what are you wheezing about? So there isn't a whole lot. Um, as sort of we discussed, that 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 it's really the the beginning chapters that that have a little bit more wheeze material. Um, but we do have in the back half of the books, and I'm curious to see if this holds true. People highlight things in the last chapters, oh, and they don't oh, care yeah. about the first chapters. Yes. Have um, they highlighted my favorite? Makes me cry every moment. End of Dumbledore's speech. I don't think. Uh, that's at least the first one because this is definitely Hagrid talking, mm. which is what's coming yes. will come and we'll meet it when it does. And a, an astounding 10,000 people have thought that this was a profound thing that needed to be out in the world. Um, and so I am sharing that with you right now <laughs> with a little bit of disappointment. What is it? Um... We now have almost 12,500 with differences of habit and language are nothing at all if our aims are identical and our hearts are open. Um, that is not one I would have expected to be coming into the, the top. I mean, it, I agree with very the sen- sentiment, sure. And, but... you know, we all shouldn't be racist. And that's, that's a very important thing that you should know from Dumbledore's speech. Um and, and yes, Sarah, I think we do get the thing that makes you cry, which is remember Cedric, remember if the time should come when you have to make a choice between that is right and what is, what is right and what is easy. Remember what happened to a boy who was good and kind and brave because he strayed across the path of Lord Voldemort. Remember Cedric Diggory. Um, that only has uh, a little under nine and a half thousand. So most people think that this is nowhere near as interesting or poignant as the last one because they don't like you, Sarah. That That is what we're saying, that at least 3,000 people think you're wrong about everything that you hold dear in your life, and they're weird. I don't know. We, we discussed this last book. Highlighting things in your book, particularly on Kindle, is the same thing as you guys refer to as just like little Instagram notices or whatever else. It's meant to be generic. It's meant not to connect to any particular book. Sarah's favorite quote has way too many in-text references. It's not bland enough. Yes, that is, this is specific, uh, actually specific and usable where you two, for example, write some sort of paper about, um, about this book. It would not just be a dropped in quotation. You could do some actual analysis on it. Yes. Yes. Um, I, I feel like there should be a campaign somewhere to start highlighting Kindle books in, en masse to just try and make people continue to like, you know, a, uh, a moving stone gathers no moss kind of thing and just have like mm. masses of random underlined things and have random people trying to figure out why this is so important and so meaningful to so many thousands of other people and just if get this confused. Is, if this is not some sort of social experiment that has actually happened 
in like the in some sort of social sciences setting i it should be um because this is clearly a thing that happens there are i i do not understand the highlights in the kindle I mean, in my case, if anyone ever wanted to follow my highlights, it would be every time I ever t attempted to bookmark a page and instead pressed the wrong button and highlighted a random word on page 12. So <laughs> there is probably a certain element of that going into it. People like me that struggle with technology. And then there are my highlights, which is things that I can bring up to, to bother you and Sarah with. Uh, <laughs> so... Why has he highlighted every ellipses on, on chapter 8? A lot of, lot of different strategies going on here. Yes. Um, but yeah, so, I, you know, hopefully we'll get back into some other territory. And I, I have a feeling, given the change in tone of the books, that there might need to be a shift in wheeze. Um, I'll have to see where that sort of ends up. Mm -hmm. um, but but I, I have this feeling that there's, it's a little less lighthearted, a little less funny names for things, and a little bit more doom, gloom, and dying. Mm. So... I would, I would we'll like, see. I think that you're right, but I do want to go back for just a second. And while there has not, at least in the first um, results from Google Scholar, there's not a sort of like complete study on how Kindle highlights actually affect a reading experience sort of en masse. However, there mm -hmm. is a 2012 article in the Victorian Review titled Marginalia and Community in the Age of the Kindle, Popular Highlights in the Adventures of Sherlock Holmes. <laughs> <laughs> and I really want to read, that. read send this that around. <laughs> Yeah. That's free. Send that around, please. Uh, yeah. So anyway, I just wanted to, to uh, highlight that for all of you. Uh, so they really should have call called it um, Unilluminated Illuminations. <laughs> well said. Oh, boy. Uh, it, uh, I, I like how much it pains you, Spencer. It just makes me happy. I'm, I'm keeping it in. Uh, are you done with wheezes? Can I <laughs> stop feeling pain now? Um, yeah, I'm done with wheezes, but you might feel some pain as we move into newbies notes, which I feel like more and more I, I, I have to participate in since I'm a You're newbie, a newbie. To this and I have notes. Uh, well, it's an interesting thing, and I think I'm in the same camp as Harry here. I think I would rather confront Voldemort than talk to Cedric Diggory's parents when I wake up in a hospital bed. Yeah. It's like, yeah. Also, God. why on earth was that a thing? Like, the, the, uh, uh, no idea. No idea. Like, who, who's benefiting from this? 14 years old. Like, why yeah. is he being made to relive this with the parents of his acquaintance friend what? rival? Are, are, are they who just died? I mean, yeah, for, was murdered. Harry's Harry's perspective is horrible that he's being put into this. But what are they looking for out of this? Are they looking closure. for closure from a fourteen-year-old? Yeah, I mean, it seems like you know, just reading kind of the the interaction is that they they wanted to know what his what Cedric's last moments were like, and like was this yeah. really terrible? And what can are I, you supposed can I write to do it with down? that, Harry? What are what? Well, well, I got the, his memory out of Voldemort's wand because <laughs> there's this weird thing that happens. And right. so what he really wanted me to do is take his body back to you, which I have achieved. There you go. Please leave. Also take the money. Oh, you're not taking the money. Okay, bye. Yeah. The only plus side is that with that meeting and apparently Dumbledore doing some degree of shepherding beforehand about what they were to expect, and with Dumbledore basically issuing just a standing order of nobody talk to Harry, nobody th talk about what happened, I'm talking about, I I'm setting the narrative for what occurred. It really does stuff out a lot of concerns I had about people, as they so love to do, uh, naturally assuming the worst about Harry, that Harry played some role of foul play in Cedric's death. I was really worried that was going to be a thing, and between Hermione just bottling up the one person that would love to put that theory forward, and Dumbledore just issuing a public declaration that Voldemort did it, I'm saying Voldemort, and you all understand we're under war now, and Harry did a brave thing and doing what he could with it, it banishes that story away before it could even start. And that's a really good thing, because man, would that have hounded Harry and hurt him like hell, if that guy okay. stayed around. But there was a month, right, between mm -hmm. the events of last chapter and the events of this chapter. Yes. Essentially. Sure. There is no way in hell that what supposedly happened actually would happen in any world ever with teenagers because Malfoy, Crabbe, and Goyle have got to know what happened. 
There is no way their parents haven't said something because they, we knew that they're evil because of like the reveal at the speech and it's, it's interesting the timing to it. It's interesting the timing there though. Uh, I'll, get to, I'll get to that point a little bit more in a minute. But they cheer for Cedric before they found out who killed him. And then when it's announced who killed him, they don't cheer anymore. Right. So I almost wonder to what degree they really didn't know precisely who's back and what caused. I'm saying the narrative has it so that they don't know what's going on. Sure. And I disagree with that being <laughs> a true narrative. That's, that's all know. I'm saying. It, it, it's, it, um, and it's, Brit- it's British noble families. They don't interact with their parents. They see them once on holidays. <laughs> that's it. They don't talk. They don't. There's no weekly chat. High high holidays. Nothing else. So I guess this is a question, but um, it's interesting that they how inducted they are sort of into this Death Eater society at such a young age. Yeah. Um, I mean, I wonder if they, you know, like have picnics and stuff like that. And it's like, oh, the Death Eaters aren't so bad. They, they, they do community things, uh, barbecues and. Well, it's interesting how much more positive they are in it than it seems their parents are into it. It seems like they have all of the glory, all of the pomp, all of the pride Mm -hmm. without any actual knowledge about what the process of not dying today by being a Voldemort lackey is. Yeah. And we, I, I can say that, like, in future books, the, this exact subject gets sort of brought up and discussed um, mm-hmm. in a variety of ways, uh, you know, because, because Voldemort is back, because he is planning and plotting with his supporters, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, and because many of these supporters have children that interact with Harry in some way, shape, or form, it all gets a little bit convoluted, like, who knows what and who's saying what to whom. I can picture this going very McCarthy in the future Red Scare kind of thing, of where we already know that there is a focal point of disloyalty, we'll say, among the Slytherin house, and now in pondering who can be trusted and who can't, I'm sure will be a going forward issue. And, I mean, Uh, that's actually a really great thing that Dumbledore has right now. mm -hmm. Because unless the entire Slytherin house finds out, Snape is like in prime place to you know find out what's going on because he has all of the trappings of being right. a Voldemort supporter um which hopefully Harry doesn't blab about because <laughs> that is something that he would do yeah it's a, it's a little disturbing that Harry actually you know realizes what Snape is doing in this chapter that's the thing that would be brought safer to the universe if Harry was just utterly blind to um in terms of odd decisions that Dumbledore makes, uh, we discussed, you know, meeting with Cedric Diggory's parents, putting Harry back with the Dursleys just seems to be something that Dumbledore just does every year. It's what he loves to do. There could be a logical explanation getting Harry again smuggled out of the Wizarding World, the same justification that's been offered every prior time that they've done this. But at a certain point, I think that Dumbledore just fundamentally believes that suffering builds character. <laughs> and the Dursley household is suffering embodied. Well, we are at a British private school, so... We have a common theme here. British society (laughs) drives the plot. So I will put forward a partial theory that there is an institutional amount of protection of the muggle world that the Weasleys wouldn't be, wouldn't have availed themselves of. And so things like flu powder and all the other like magical accessible things are hopefully different in the muggle world and so him being in the muggle world at least in this period of right after Voldemort's been revealed he doesn't have the protection of Hogwarts and whatever else they can eventually put into place at the Weasleys because presumably Mr. Weasley has some pull at the ministry and might be able to afford some protection but that's not presumably in place yet and so I have this feeling that there's like a, the muggle world and possibly the Dursleys in specific are warded because the main people that are important in the world know that Harry's there and Harry needs to be protected, which also, do we think that Dumbledore knew that Voldemort was coming back before this I mean, and I just he... thought it would come back later? I, I, I'm betting that. 
Cause it, seem, it seems like he was aware that the forces were, you know, were clustering together. The pieces were in movement to bring uh, Voldemort back. I was just assuming that Voldemort would come back. But he seemed cold-cocked how he did and when he did. Yeah, I, th- I think my guess is that um, having Peter Pettigrew around was a surprise to Dumbledore. Right. Which is weird, but I guess we can accept that. Because it seems like he was on the same page that Sirius didn't kill him. But it's not as clear that he had the slightest clue that where the, where Peter Pettigrew was mm-hmm. when it comes to that yeah. much. Mm-hmm. But, Peter, I, I like your theory about the idea of them being you know a special warded place. I'd even build off that to say that they're probably the most anti-magic house in Britain. So if anything magical <laughs> occurs around them, it would be like little klaxons going off. Because they're just so... Immediately aware of it, immediately trying to avoid it, and to the degree anything that occurs, it would be like dropping a, 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 a dollop of ink into a perfect white page. It'd be immediately apparent that something magical is occurring at this location. Um, and Hold also, that for it's... the beginning chapters of the next book, Spencer. Oh God, we'll find out. Another, <laughs> it's also another interesting on the wall <laughs> that there isn't um, a magical item that stops other magic. Yeah, that mm. that is something I keep expecting because that is a that is a fixture of most of most fantasy settings is the yeah. anti magic thing or device or metal or mineral or, or sword or whatever else or whatever it is. Yeah. Yes, it, it is a very common trope for that to exist because it's the ultimate anti. I've given everybody nukes. What do I do about this? I know. Turn it off, <laughs> and suddenly all of their usual tricks are out the window. Yeah. Uh, the other thing to kind of note, that if I was Dumbledore, I'd be of two minds about what use of Harry is, because from a certain perspective, yeah, you want to protect him, but at the same time, also keeping him out there in the world also lets you use him effectively as bait to then have people cluster around him. At the same time, you also kind of want to keep him close, because he's a human Geiger counter. The man is the closest thing you have to a permanent connection to Voldemort to know where he is and what he's doing. So you'd think you'd also want him close at hand, but I can understand logically either side of that. I mean, I also imagine that had Dumbledore not been Dumbledore, they would have used Harry's scar to try and locate Voldemort because that would be like a uh, they'd, thing they'd that straight, you could do. Yeah, they'd straight minority report him. They would lobotomize yeah. him and put him in a pool or something so they can constantly monitor where Dumbledore was. Use him <laughs> as be a dowsing rod, basically. And Yeah. <laughs> this was something I had honestly never contemplated before, and I don't like any parts of it. <laughs> Come on. Sarah, thinking logically, if Fudge was had his back against a wall, he would totally do that thing, assuming he ever admitted that Voldemort was back. Yeah. Fair. Um, um, yeah, and but Dumbledore he, has been protecting Harry since... Simultaneously protecting Harry and perhaps using Harry for his yeah. entire life. Also an interesting choice to let Harry keep his wand. And when he's going... Th- what? When he's going back to the Muggle world, you mean? No, just... Uh, like oh, in general because but, like, of the matched wands right gotcha. because of the matched wands like it seems like it'd make more sense to have a well-known powerful wizard that would lead the fight or whatever and i the know we have chooses like, the wizard yeah, yeah but but you can still use somebody else's wand and effectively so maybe not quite as effectively but like we we, we don't see a significant change in there was, like, the Snape and Pettigrew scene where, like, somebody gathered up all the wands. Like, there are scenes where we get effective uses of other people's wands, and I can't imagine that Harry is the most effective user of this wand, even though it is his wand. We do have the one... I'm suddenly blanking on his name. What was the pretty boy professor that all, all the books written about him where he was actually just lying and using memory charms? Gilderoy Lockhart. We, we did see him use somebody else's wand and it blow up in his face, though it's not a, not a great example because the wand itself was defective. Yeah, I think that was a, a wand problem yeah. more than a more than a Lockhart yeah, there's wand a pill for that. problem. But, um, you know, I do we do get a lot of talk in books coming up, particularly because of what has happened between Harry and Voldemort with these wands. There is a lot of, like, a lot more actual switching of wands around and a lot more discussion of switching of wands and how that works and how it works most effectively if you're going to do it, et cetera, et cetera. So like it comes, we come back to this point as well. Okay. Another thread on the I board. Know. Thank you. Appreciate it. Uh, in ter- Sarah, you talked about loving the end of Voldemort's speech. I actually really loved Hagrid's life philosophy. We kind of have revealed in this chapter of where it's this real grounded pragmatic, re- pragmatic realism that he's going about things of mm-hmm. where, okay, well, this is what the world is now. This is what we have to do. We'll do it. Yeah. What's there to worry about? This is what we just have to do now. Mm-hmm. And it, 
it's so Hagrid. It's so just, this is a guy that gardens a lot kind of thing of where this is the process, this is what you do, you weather things as they come. That it really seems like it helps Harry because it's just a very much a thing of, eh, don't sweat it. This is what this, this is the world now. This is this is what we have to do. Why worry about it? This is just what what the next step has to be. Mm-hmm. That I pre- appreciate it, and it's so very much in, on point for the philosophy I would expect Hagrid to have. And also just for heartwarming lines, I can't say this the way Hagrid does, but you did as much as your father would have do- would have done, and I can't give you no higher praise than that. Was the perfect thing to say to Harry in that moment, and. Between that and Hagrid having a job over the summer, making up with Maxine, <laughs> keeping Dumbledore's secrets, acting on those secrets, not revealing what the job is, and making a self-aware Scrooge joke? You want to talk about characters that have grown in this book? Dear God, Hagrid <laughs> is impressing me. Yep, he's got... Mm-hmm. Oh, th- th- this is a man that has come a very long way since book one, and that need- I need to acknowledge that more. Also, I th- I'm a little surprised that we don't have a little bit more of Hagrid talking about Harry's parents to Harry. And this is sort of like one of those side reveals that we get that Hagrid presumably knew him pretty well if that's like the highest compliment he can think to give to Harry. Mm-hmm. I don't... Um, yeah, maybe. I don't know that he had to know them particularly well or know his dad particularly well to be able to say that to him. Um, ha- Hagrid, simply because... Hagrid was partially also- because the Potters were themselves really well known in the wizarding world. Okay. Hagrid was grounds... I'm trying to remember the generations here, because Hagrid's a lot older than I always remember him to be, but Hagrid mm-hmm. was not a, was no, long since not a student. He was the groundskeeper at this point. When, yes. When, when Harry's parents were there. Yeah. Got you. Um, Sienna mentioned earlier, but I enjoyed the kind of setup, and I think this was very intentional on Dumbledore's part, of where he says, and now we shall honor Cedric Diggory, and everybody stands up. Whole room stands up. All the Slytherins stand up. Everyone honors him. And then immediately next he says, and oh yeah, Voldemort killed him. And I can just picture Draco and Gang going, you fucker made me celebrate his life <laughs> and death. Because right immediately afterwards, when he then goes and now celebrating Harry, I don't think it was just let's celebrate Harry that kept Draco and the other ones down. Mm-hmm. It was the realization that Voldemort's back and is responsible for this. And now they can't celebrate anything that would oppose him. And also interesting that... The narrator is a weird thing in the in these books, and mm-hmm. I'm beginning to have this theory that Harry is dictating this book as an adult. You've had that theory for a while, sir. Like, yes, but like, the, I I, th- I feel like this is like a little bit more like it, it adds to it because it says that like Dumbledore didn't have a moody eye, so there's no way he would know that this was going on. Given what we know about Dumbledore, I, I don't see him not having a magic eye really prevents him knowing that that was going on or anything else. Um, but it was also just a very weird sentence to me. Like it just, it popped me out mm-hmm. of the story. Mm-hmm. Um, and I also disagree with its conclusion, even though it is the narrator. <laughs> the narrator is very inconsistently levels of involved in the text here. Sometimes it's just recounting what the people are saying. Other times it's offering commentary. Mm-hmm. And it's not its not a consistent thread for how this narrator works. Yeah. Uh, um, Dumbledore pulling no punches continues to surprise me. Him just straight up saying... And I want everybody to know, Voldemort was here, Voldemort killed the person that you love, Voldemort's a threat, people will lie to you about this, I want to tell you the truth now. This is a man who is now commanding the narrative. He is not al- He's not staying idle, he's not allowing anybody else to tell the story anymore. He can't trust them to. So seeing him be actively involved in the story, it just makes me wonder, if this guy gave a shit book one, page one, what could else have been accomplished in this tale? Yeah. Um, and I think it's also interesting to know, we're straying... I feel like we're straying a bit into like X-Men territory where like, yeah, this is a school, but Dumbledore is prepping this to be like a trans- fighting wing. The transition between school and military academy, we just kind of reached that point right there. This man yeah. has a hell of a recruiting ground for new soldiers in the next war. Yeah, so this is, I, I feel like I'm a broken record for this discussion of the last <laughs> chapter of this fourth book because I cannot tell you what is what is coming. But I this is, this is an interesting point to return to specifically in the next book. Um, and it will develop over the course of the next book. But the, you know, the, the question of what 
I don't I don't even know how to phrase the question without it being spoilery. Um, but I, the, I think the question of what the purpose of Hogwarts is and what their training is for, mm-hmm. like, needs to be addressed. And and my guess is that you know, with Defense Against the Dark Arts being a thing that they teach, and a bunch of other things being things that they teach, like how how far do you go with it? Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, what what do like, how much do you keep them out of things in the world that they, you know, you think they need to be kept out of as children? And how much is it just, well, we have a couple of hundred powerful wizards or what well, could be powerful wizards and we need to do something. Mm-hmm. And and I guess the this to me was Dumbledore going, well, we know we can't trust the ministry. And so I'm going to start prepping a fighting squad now as opposed to later and so yeah so this like this question is really does drive it just does drive the next book um like a huge amount of the next book and so i think you know we're going to continue to have this this specific conversation and i think that the the way that it gets explored is really interesting and nuanced um, especially because, and I don't think that this is, this is a spoiler because Dumbledore has specifically talked about how, how this is going to happen. You know, he is, in my mind, he is putting such a particular point on, this was Voldemort, you're going to be lied to, you need to know this is Voldemort, because he now has no access to them for three to four months where they are out in the world with their parents who may or may not read wizard Facebook and the nonsense that is put out there, and who also have their own sort of agendas and understandings of what is happening. And he's only had this limited amount of time to try, as you say, to control this narrative. Will it be mm-hmm. enough, I think is the question. So what does Wizard Rotsy look like? Because that's 100% what we're about to... Is that what Order of the Phoenix is? Is, is that Wizard Rotsy? Okay. Um, you don't know. Fair enough. I, our listeners cannot see the extent to which I am, I am holding my hands up I, in the air as if I could not possibly answer this question. I've never actually heard ROTC just pronounced Rotsy before. You just did me doing there, PJ. Really? Yeah, never heard it pronounced that way. I've always heard it spelled out. Hmm. I've no, no never heard it the other way. <laughs> okay. Do you, do you say EPA when you say the EPA? No. Okay. Well, it works differently for different people. I mean, and you'd pronounce it EPA anyway. Oh, okay. uh, there we go. Thank you. <laughs> well, right. The other and... aspect of Dumbledore's speech, the other aspect of Dumbledore's speech that he's heavily emphasizing is that this is the moment where we all have to come together. And mm-hmm. it seems that it's part of his justification for why Hogwarts exists is that you all have very different philosophies. There's a lot of reasons where it doesn't make any logical sense for you to all be in the same room, but that's on purpose. This is for a chance of people from incredibly different points of view, incredibly different backgrounds, to all come together in a common place of learning to establish common connections. And that's a useful thing. All of you, regardless of where you came from, are welcome back here. Emphasizing the Dermastrang students who are basically left orphaned by their headmaster being thrown out here shortly, mm-hmm. or disappearing. And also I like interesting. how it's... I, and I just want, like, sorry to slow your roll. Um, they were seated at the Slytherin table. Like, they were, at, at some point. Specifically... And that's, like, so sketchy. Well, that was... Sarah, remind me. Didn't they go there the moment they got off the boat? Yeah. Yeah. And what I will say that... And I think Red... um, Bobaton went to Ravenclaw, maybe. What I will say that I actually... um, This is another thing that I like about the changes that the movies have have made, is that, you know, to emphasize this point, they actually have the Bobaton and Durmstrang students sitting at different tables, they're mixing with the other students. Like, it's not, it doesn't continue to be this weird segregated thing because they have been, like, well, yes, I guess they've been taking classes in kind of their own pseudo-schools sure. yeah. out there. They've like been they, hanging out. Yeah, they've been yeah. together and around each other and socializing and all of that. So, like, this is something I feel like Rowling doubled down on this in ways that just don't make sense. Mm-hmm. I, 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 I like how that's represented to a certain degree in Flor Delacour and Victor Crumb mm-hmm. for how much we had pigeonholed them early and how much more we understand how more complicated and varied they are since now we've gotten to know them. And I think that's just an ultimate endorsement of Dumbledore's philosophy about let's take people that are coming from all different places and let you, let, let, every, let everyone get exposed to each other. 
And you'll learn that they're people, and they've got many fascinating aspects to them, and you can establish common ground even where you don't think that they should. And so the fact that Harry went from viewing Floor as being utterly stuck-up queen to now being somebody that is just pleasant and flirty and friendly and is just, you know, fun to be around, mm -hmm. and Victor Crumb being this just weird, gnarled mess of a proto-moody uh, um, kind of person. Yeah. <laughs> well, he's got the club foot, he's got the hunch, he's, he looks like he's going to be moody in 20 years. But... Now understanding that rather than this dark, intimidating champion of an athlete, he's kind of a nerdy, sweet guy that just wants to be loved and wants to establish friends and doesn't have anybody else in the world. Mm -hmm. And so seeing that and seeing them get to get these little pleasant exits from where they came, I think it's just the perfect embodiment of what Dumbledore just said in the last chapter about what the value of Hogwarts is. And the justification for bringing these people up where you're like, why do you have these people that are just almost certainly going to be disloyal and smoking guns? Is that, well, getting everybody in the same group offers you... If they're going to be that anyway, getting them in the same group offers them the chance to establish connections and learn more about them and possibly get them away from that path or for help you overcome your prejudices with respect to them. Mm -hmm. And all that's great. Do we um, ever get exchange students? We Floor wants to be. She's, I think she said <laughs> we want to be an exchange teacher to learn her, Eng her English, what if she said. <laughs> Yeah. Um, I know we don't, although that was like a thousand percent the subject of my middle-aged fanfiction around this. So. <laughs> when you said so, middle-aged, you mean middle school. Middle school. Oh, yeah. Well, it might, you know, I'm quickly approaching middle-aged, so we might go It's never stopped. The fanfiction continues. <laughs> uh one other thing I also loved about the floor and uh, crumb exits were Hermione and Ron just nonstop reacting to him. It's just like, at a certain point, Harry, be the friend. Just grab them both my shoulder and say, kiss already. <laughs> or don't. But stop just waffling about it, please. Yeah, this is terrible. Uh, I want Pigwidgeon as a traveling companion under my robes. That sounds like a wonderful experience of him just being excited wherever you are going. He will make me more excited about the trip just from his level of excitement. <laughs> Uh, you know that owls have sharp talons, right? Uh, he doesn't. He's lovely. Uh, he's also tiny. Maybe I may not be able to be able to pierce my shirt. Uh, I feel like you have a small rabbit that probably belies that. That small equals not terrifying. Uh, that, that rabbit proves that you should never put a pet inside your shirt. <laughs> Disastrous things will happen. Uh, so you already referenced this. Already referenced this, but goddamn Hermione, I expected you would do something when it came to Rita Skeeter. But dear God, do you play for keeps? I was not anywhere going near, and I have her here, and I'll keep her on a shelf until she apologizes. There you go. Are you ready yet? No? See you in a year. Yeah. Good God, dear. It is It is not addressed how, like, absolutely batshit this is. As a first oh, yeah. This is the end. In a, very, in a different movie, this is the villain wins kind of ending here right now. Yeah, um, uh, yeah. I think we just sort of move on from from that, that thing. I also just adore that the entire train was so done with Malfoy shit that him and the two and his two lackeys just got shot from like nine directions at the same time when they were talking. Mm -hmm. He's like, uh, are, "Are you fronting? I'm tired of you fronting." And just like nine bolts hit them from all directions. We hear about you know our trio and Fred and George. But I'm perfectly willing to believe that people just stuck their wands out of their out of the various doors of the train and just shot them blind down the hallway. Uh, the truth about Ludo Bagman is simultaneously disappointing because I was wrong, but also annoyingly does explain everything. So I'll accept that gambling is at the heart of all of the problems I had with this <laughs> character throughout the story. It's lackluster, but it actually works throughout all of it. It was either going to be, he's a dark wizard, he's incompetent as shit, or he's gambling, or possibly a combination of the three. I got two. Well, isn't it lackluster in exactly the way that Ludo Bagman is lackluster? It is, yeah. It, yeah. It's, it, it's appropriate, and I'm, I'm, disappointed <laughs> more, I'm disappointed more in myself than the text that I so swallowed that red herring. Um, and like we had a lot of the the trappings of it because a lot of the gold that sort of was distributed around was uh, the you know disappeared and that was sort of mm -hmm. a whole thing with with yeah. Harry and Ron yeah, and it's set up mm -hmm. yeah mm -hmm. uh, Harry's investment in Fred and George uh, I appreciate the sentiment laughter is a good thing the world may suffer for this dude. <laughs> <laughs> 
I understand that you're in a state of where just the concept of the world having more laughter in it is a lovely thought, but consider where you're putting the money for a second. Their idea of laughter may not mirror yours in the future. They'll be laughing, the world may not. Yeah, and it's interesting because, like, yes, their jokes do go differently, but, like, there are a bunch of Master episodes, and, like, one in specific, that are, like, right about this, and, like, in... Almost exactly. If Hawkeye and BJ had the means of using that ton-tongue toffee on, you know, Frank or Winchester, (laughs) they clearly would have done so. Thank God it wasn't available. Oh, yeah. But these two have that. Yes. I think, you know, Um, the the biggest problem with all of this is that they do not have the, the scope to do real product testing without it just being sort of guinea pigging around live fire you know maybe this uh, this investment will will, will help that out yeah. you know the, uh, on the plus side they don't seem as mean-spirited as ron because otherwise mm-hmm. pigwidgeon would be the first animal tested of of every single prank ever conceived of and it it would be very in keeping with the tone of the book so far, if that was the case. <laughs> if, if you ever just want to summarize why Ron and I are not buddies when it comes to this text, his treatment of animals appalls me at every opportunity. He has the sweetest damn owl in the known world, and he could not, not only does not give a shit, he actively hates it. And this coming from a man who hates dogs. Sarah, I expected better from you. Please stop repeating the damn BJ theories. Well, my it's true, wasn't here but we to don't do need it, to put so. that on. Oh, yes, he does. <laughs> Uh, that's all. That's actually all I have, and I'm left with an interesting question, Sarah. Who won and who lost, other than you? We already declared you the <laughs> ultimate winner of the book. Just this chapter, who won? Well, I am... We have a lot of options for both of them, quite honestly. We do. Um, mm-hmm. But I am willing to share my winner's podium with uh, Fred and George, I believe, who come out uh, of this really? completely... Um, I was going to say, I think positive. Spencer's uh, summary of, of uh, Hagrid this chapter was a pretty good one. I mean, he wasn't yeah. bad badly in this chapter. Um, but yes, it, Fred and George, Thousand Galleons Richer, are able to pursue their dreams. Yeah, in, in terms of within this chapter, which is our rules, mm-hmm. Hagrid was already getting to this point. We just suddenly realized it. The two, Fred and George went from, I'm utterly in debt and my dreams are ruined to free monstrous amount of cash. Well, they weren't in debt. They were just, they but all of their, their savings, savings had been wiped out. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Right. Um, from one it's Ludo all, Baggins, it's also, Ultimate It's also... The, I don't think I'm assuming much to assume they might be in debt when they have zero savings. Just throwing it out yes. there. Yes, fair enough. I mean, this is schooling in uh, what was... It, well, what may still be the EU. So, so this is European schooling. You don't have to go into significant amounts of debt just to participate. So, you know... <laughs> It's also British British public school. There's a certain yeah. expectation that you bring wealth to the field. Um, as far Loser. as losers go, I mean, we do have some options, I think, and I'm happy to discuss any that you would like. But for my money that I'm actively stealing from Fred and George up on this podium of winners, it's got to be Rita Skeeter, right? Yeah. If we're no, not going to no. go for somebody like the Diggories or, or something like that. I was going to say the Diggories... Um... I mean, I, you he could say that that the same <laughs> the same argument for Hagrid not being a winner, Rita Skeeter is not a loser because we're just catching up to it. It's not like she was caught this chapter. That's that is um, that is true. That is true. So I mean, I, I think I think our rules, and maybe we'll just have to do this going forward, is like the chapter we find out about it in, as opposed to the chapter it might have occurred. Yeah, in, that's fine. Um, uh, yeah. Is, is where we we do our. You know, who won and who lost. I think Rita Skeeter's a good one. I think that Malfoy is going to be an interesting one. Mm. Mm -hmm. Um, Because, and I'm curious to see where this goes, kind of everybody knows that he's a Voldemort supporter now. Yeah. Maybe maybe they didn't pay attention, but, like, he's making it... Real, really clear that it's not just I hate Harry Potter. Mm-hmm. It's I hate Harry Potter because he killed Voldemort or didn't kill Voldemort, as sort of the case may be. Mm-hmm. Well, his dad, you know, it's one of those things where we don't get to see many interactions between him and his dad. But I would assume his dad's going to be really pissed when this story gets back to him. 
is that is it, Dad seemed to at least be trying to maintain the polite fiction that he's a proper member of organized society. The fact that his son's just going off and spouting loyalty to Voldemort probably does not help that narrative. Yeah, well, this is... I have I cannot offer any insights on this right now. Fair. So, like other uh, graduations for uh, for Voldemort society, is there a hooding ceremony? <laughs> Moving right uh-huh. along. <laughs> um, okay, so I'm going to declare Rita Skeeter the loser of this chapter, uh-huh. just because her situation is so bad shit. Oh yeah, and it's not ending. It's not, there's no exit plan here other than Hermione's satisfied you really mean it. Yes. And um, she's petty and vindictive enough that she might demand a certain degree of proof before that comes to pass. I will say, I, know the, be... the one spoiler I will give is that Rita Skeeter does not, while she, she may or may not abide by the agreement, Hermione does not just keep her in a jar for a year. Yeah. Uh, okay. Um, it is interesting because Hermione could have time looped her in this and that would be a crazy thing in the world oh um, god she just she dropped the little pocket watch of time travel in there or something well no no, no. so the time turner like yeah but she, like i guess she doesn't have access she gave it back she gave it I back think. yeah yeah but like <laughs> that could have been a i'll just take you everywhere and you know spend a lot more time on my vacation and increase your sentence <laughs> um but yeah, here's that, you that and your jar like at the beach. Loser. Here's you and your jar at the mountains. I've been, I fully endorse your choices. I actually don't have any questions this time around because they're all plot related and you basically already said no in response to several of them. So. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm happy to listen to any questions that you all might have um, and I will try to answer them if I can. But like, if I were in your shoes, I feel like most of my questions would be about what is coming here's one i can't ask okay uh headmaster dermstrang is now on the lam mm-hmm. uh when it comes to any of these schools and I'm, I'm assuming the process is different but if you can answer for any of them what is the process of appointing a new headmaster because that's something we have not really ever had discussed or entertained yeah um i don't i mean so for hogwarts they have the board of governors board of trustees mm-hmm. whatever they're called um mm-hmm. and my understanding is that it's them that it's they it's them that um, the appoint pick-up? the new headmaster. I have no idea if that if that works if it works like that in other schools. Um, and it does seem that like for Hogwarts, you know, Dumbledore was the Transfiguration professor at Hogwarts before he became headmaster. So it seems like they're generally internal hires as well because like I don't know, you gotta kind of know that system. At yeah. least at Hogwarts, but I don't. I don't know. I we don't really get any insight into like Bobaton or Durmstrang. Ma- Ma- Malfoy's on the board, right? Yeah. Yeah. Lu- Lucius. Mm-hmm. That's uh, I a- think so. Are Crab and Go- like there are a bunch of Voldemort the- supporters yes. on the board. This is one of the reasons I was asking that. Is that there's the coup right there? Is that you know as BJ as you as you said this is the West Point for the anti Voldemort League at present. If he can undermine that from within, that could have a profound effect on Voldemort's chances going forward. And so if he already has supporters within the board of directors, that's something he could use or further try to expand, I'd imagine. Um, almost like they were there for a reason. Um, the, the, uh, I mean, the other side of it is there were supporters that they had against Dumbledore, but we don't know that they're evil. We just know that they don't like Dumbledore, which could be they don't like crazy dude. Yeah. Um, like, and I would guess that... Sorry, guys. I was just going to say, and we have a lot of evidence that, you know, there's a lot of... We don't we don't know a lot about most of them, but we know that they're probably not super strong-willed because we had that whole scene where they were bullied by Malfoy into recalling Dumbledore. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So they're, they're kind, of a, kind of a mystery in a lot of ways. And I would guess that given this, this is a British setting, not only... Are there people like Malfoy on there, but there are people that are either ministry or ministry adjacent on there that probably don't really like Dumbledore for quite a variety of reasons. Mm-hmm. Um, so he needs to bolster his loyalty in that regard because that's a weak link that he needs to be uh, aware of. Yeah. Um, Sarah, mm-hmm. how do ministry positions work? Like, is there like normal interview style or... Is it just sort of the the will and the whim of whoever like the manager is? Like, 
how how does that work? And you know, is the head of the ministry you know an internal candidate, or you know, do they interview powerful wizards? Like you know, how how is that uh, done? Is Percy eventually the head of the Ministry of Magic? <laughs> and because a hundred percent, that's where this is heading. I, I can neither confirm nor deny anything about Percy moving forward, except that he's a jerk. Um, <laughs> Good, so nothing he changes. he gets to be the head of ministry. <laughs> okay. He's confirm. perfect. Um, I think that the minister, like the head minister, you know, minister of magic, I believe that's an elected position. Okay. Um, although I'm not a thousand percent sure of it now that I say it. Um, but... I don't. I, I don't know anything about the rest of the ministry and how that works. I would imagine that it is a a good old um, sort of British system of pipelines and nepotism. Yeah, which is interesting that Percy has the job that he does, mm-hmm. and I now I wonder even further if the uh, pseudonym that that he gave was sort of on purpose. Like Fred got him the job there, but like. Mm-hmm. It no one knows how Percy like no one else knows how Percy got the job there, <laughs> and he's not interested in. He, he's not interested in being out. associated with a Muggle lover like Fred. So, <laughs> um, want, wants to advance his career a little bit more and has taken on a different moniker. Mm. I don't now. I'm looking, and you all should not look at this because there are a bunch of spoilers in it. But I'm looking at the Harry Potter wiki for the Minister for Magic, and it doesn't go into a great deal of detail but they say they keep using the word appointed oh no hold on i'm sorry uh the minister for magic was formally appointed in 1707 when ulic gamp was voted in as the first minister for magic ministers were democratically elected through a public vote and there was no fixed limit to a minister's term in office however regular elections had had to be held at a maximum interval of seven years okay so it is an elected position which which makes sense because there was kind of a there has been uh, talk kind of at the edges of, of some interactions about why Cornelius Fudge is so um, resentful of Dumbledore, which is partially yeah. because everybody knew that Dumbledore was more popular than he was, and had he wanted to be Minister of Magic, right, he could have been, been elected over that, him. That's scary. <laughs> um, so well, we know that there's a process to register animagi Mm -hmm. is there a way of detecting them i think we might have asked this before but i just i don't remember now i don't think there really is no i mean i think that the only thing that we have really seen is that on the the singular object of the marauders map is that your real name appears regardless of what form you're in but i don't think that there's um specifically a way unless you already know you right. uh, you can force an animages to reveal themselves as we saw with um, Scabbers and Sirius and, and Lupin last book. Right. But I don't I don't think that you could just like You just start pointing at things and like <laughs> nope. <laughs> nope. That's what Moody does. I don't know about the rest mm, of yeah. us. Mm, mm. Well, we don't know what Moody does. That's that's true. We have exchanged <laughs> like a sentence and a half with the real Moody. Right. But, um but- that that is actually more than a little bit disappointing, just because that was an awesome character that now doesn't exist. It's like oh, so can I? I will give you one spoiler that please. Mad Eye Moody is totally in the next books. Like he is part of but, the plot going forward, and he. But is, it's not the well. I know, but it is a very similar personality to what we've seen. Further proving <laughs> just how good of an actor this guy was. Barney Crouch Jr. did his homework. Okay. Um. Do we see the Marauders map again? Oh, yes, most definitely. Okay. Mm-hmm. Interesting. That, and that was sort of like a where is that? Because Moody has like all, not Moody, had like all of the things. Yeah. And I don't remember. it's how kind Harry of like a, a weird limbo. Hmm. Harry definitely yeah, what, what, gets it back, but I don't, he didn't, I don't, hmm. I don't remember getting it back this book. Yeah. That, God, I hope that's not. I mean, that's probably a double door distribution what, yeah. at it, some point. It kind got, of like uh, it, Jesus in line, the witch in the world group. <laughs> I mean, it got, it, last we saw it, it got, it got grabbed by fake Moody, and we haven't seen it since, right? That's my memory. Yeah. I mean, it's presumably in his in, in his items, and Dumbledore will return it eventually as he goes through them, I guess. 
Uh, Sarah, what was the date you said again on the first Minister of Magic? 1707. Okay. I'm, I'm amused by that because that's like the first time, that's when the first Prime Minister of England was first joining Parliament. Mm. So the first Minister of Magic beat the first Prime Minister of England in terms of taking the office. So, the, fun, yeah, fun there, is, there is also a uh, section here on the relationship with the Muggle Prime Minister. <laughs> <laughs> well, they were growing up together. Walpole started in like 1721. So mm -hmm. Minister Magic beat him by a few years. Mm -hmm. but, well, if we don't have anything further, I think we actually have to now bid adieu to the fourth book. Sarah's favorite. Sarah, yeah. how was it for you now reviewing with us what is your favorite book of this series? Is it still your favorite book or did BJ Rowan? I, I actually think that um, <laughs> despite the, the Ludo Bagman-like betting on this, BJ was unable to ruin this book for me. <laughs> I mean, I, I like to think that I'm taking them down an even amount. Like, the, none, none of them are, are being skewed in any particular way. We'll see, see about the later books. But they're all, you know, just dropping a notch or two as, as Sarah comes to really appreciate the prose in these books. BJ, I have enough experience in just ignoring what you say that this is not <laughs> going to have any lasting damage to my opinion I, I of these books. That the next time you read these books, you see the semicolons <laughs> and the ellipses. That that is my one wish for your next reread. Oh boy! No, I so I mean I love this book. It seems like you both enjoyed this book too. Quite a bit. Um, this is my favorite book of the series so far, certainly. And you know I can certainly see a world where you all might like the you all might like the fifth book the next the the most. Um, Okay. We'll we'll see how that goes. But I was so the first time reading these books when they came out, and in all of my subsequent rereads, I am just so enamored with a the growing up that happens in this book, um, mm -hmm. both for our characters and for Rowling as an author. But I love just the I I love this sort of task oriented structure of this book, mm. the way in which yeah. it has like a really um, like actually has a very rigid plot structure around mm -hmm. the three tasks. I, I don't know. I just really liked that. Those sort of discrete, um, discrete scenes and like the research and the interactions around all of it. I, I keep coming back to that and really enjoying it. So um, that's one of the reasons yeah. I've always liked this book. And I think it might be worth talking about a little bit more, but we've sort of moved away from like things happen in classes mm -hmm. and then things happen at the end. Mm -hmm. And um, I don't know. It's, it's, it's a, Different structure, at least. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I, I rather liked it. Some of the other texts could at, at times feel meandering, which was, I suppose, appropriate just because the characters were lost in terms of what, where the plot was going. But it didn't give us much in the way of investment or at least ability to, you know, go with the characters as they went through the story. We were very much just along for the ride. This one gives, gives a much more feel of being actively invested in where, where, where everything was going and what was happening. Mm -hmm. And it made for a much more enjoyable read. Um, do we have... Any other concluding thoughts we want to do on this book before we move right along to Order of the what, Phoenix? I, I mean, I I will endorse BJ's theory that this is the easily the darkest book yet. Mm -hmm. Almost surprisingly dark at times in terms of some of the things that occur. And I'm expecting that based on the increased maturity of the characters and what now has re-entered the world, that I'm it would not be much to see that we're going to continue to get darker from here in terms of where things go. Mm -hmm. And I'll be curious to see whether it's able to keep its charm and whimsy as it does that. Because it often can be diff. Some of the things that's really fun about this is just the starry-eyed joy that goes into so much of what occurs in the world. Just the kind of just happy little bliss that everybody goes about using magic in their lives. That's just inherently charming. And I'll be curious to see how much that can be balanced and sustained as we go into what is a much more darker plot than what previously has allowed us to explore that. Mm-hmm. BJ, any predictions? Uh, I think Spencer's starry-eyed wonderment is come come to a close. <laughs> and, um, it, you haven't stopped it yet, PJ. It persists. And I'm, I'm t in terms of this book, not like you in particular, but in terms of the books, like you know, I'm guessing that they're going to go a lot darker. Mm. Um, and I, I also wonder if, and this would be somewhat disappointing, um, that the entertaining things that I've been remarking on for the past three or four books, uh, J.K. Rowling finds that she's sort of matured out of that as an author. Mm -hmm. um, and so not only with the tone of the book, but also like the change in how she writes, what she writes and things like that, um, that this takes a little bit more of a backseat. Yeah, it's an interesting, I mean, you might, 
I think that if I think you might find that simply because the whole the 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 world in which we're kind of the world we're inhabiting is getting overall darker. My impression yeah. is that the and I'll be interested to see if you both if you both read it like this as well is that she is she actually gets smarter and more consistent about injecting the whimsy more sporadically across the books instead of concentrating okay. it at the very beginning. Um, yeah, because you can't just that'll have, be nice to say. Yeah, Voldemort is back. You can't just have the like nothing really bad is happening at the beginning of these books anymore. <laughs> right. Yeah. Um, I mean, it'll, it'll be interesting to see what the change in tone is. I mean, there are some books. I think it was the first law trilogy where you you really get change in tone mm-hmm. over the the series mm-hmm. um and we haven't i mean we've we've just had a book that somewhat changes in tone i wouldn't say like it's a complete shift um but you know as you mentioned this is sort of a transition book and um maybe you want to spend a little bit of time talking about that before we get into the latter three mm-hmm. um and sort of see where we are but i don't know yeah been fun dude i actually don't know what is the next book the fifth book is harry potter and the order of the phoenix do do we know what harry that is? potter joins rotsy <laughs> we have not heard of the order of the phoenix before no it, it they have good branding i'll give them that it's an awesome name for an organization it's pretty cool right <laughs> all right are they called oops <laughs> they do actually put no it's they they do it's when they abbreviate Who's? it ootp Okay, so they do it wrong. Gotcha. Correct. Okay. <laughs> well, on that wizard wheeze note, guys, this has been a wonderful book and a wonderful time going through it with y'all. And I'm whenever we pick up the next one, I'm really looking forward to it. Me too.